Continuing right where we left off last week, the Gudians had just overthrown the Akkadian Empire and were known to the Akkadians as an uneducated and primitive people who weren't prepared to manage the sophisticated culture and cities of Mesopotamia. And under the rule of the Gudians, uh, those cities soon fell into decline and the region entered what is considered to be a dark age. Eventually, the surviving Sumerian dynastic bloodlines seized the opportunity during the mismanagement of the region and overthrew the Gudians, expelling them from Mesopotamia back into their own lands and re-established the Sumerian monarchy. But the rule of the Sumerians at this point would be short-lived when the Sumerian ruler decided to attack a city far to the west in modern-day Iran called Alam. The Elamites retaliated by invading the Mesopotamian cities, destroying many of them and occupying the region for over 20 years. In the surviving writings of the Sumerians and Akkadians, they considered the Elamites to be a backwards group like the Gudians who didn't respect their cultures or religion. The historical record tells us that during this time, a prolonged drought in an area known as the Levant affected a nomadic tribe of herders who sought the lush irrigated fields of Mesopotamia, and soon a large-scale migration ensued by a people called the Amorites, from an area which included present-day Lebanon, Syria, Jordan, Israel, Palestine, and most of Turkey. The Levant included all of the eastern Mediterranean, extending from Greece to eastern Libya. With such overwhelming numbers of Amorites flocking to Mesopotamia, the Elamites were outnumbered and were driven out of the region back west to Alam. If you happen to remember anything from religious studies classes, the Amorites are also mentioned in the Bible as the inhabitants of Canaan and are most famous for the founding of the city of Babylon. The Amorites then dominated the region for hundreds of years and eventually under the leadership of an Amorite king called Hammurabi, the city of Babylon became the center of his empire known as the Babylonian Empire. Hammurabi is credited with the creation of the laws of Hammurabi, which unlike earlier Sumerian law codes such as the Code of Ur-Nammu, had focused on compensating the victim of the crime. The Law of Hammurabi was one of the first law codes to place greater emphasis on the physical punishment of the perpetrator. It prescribed specific penalties for each crime and is among the first codes to establish the presumption of innocence. Although its penalties are extremely harsh by modern standards, they were intended to limit what a wronged person was permitted to do in retribution. The Code of Hammurabi and the Law of Moses in the Torah contain numerous similarities. Babylon had an advanced system of governance, and Babylonians are credited with the creation of one of the world's seven ancient wonders, the Hanging Gardens of Babylon, said to be an enormous tiered palace-styled building with a variety of gardens encasing each floor as one ascended to its top. The Babylonian Empire lasted nearly 300 years until it was conquered by a man named Cyrus the Great from an area to the southwest of modern-day Iran called Persia. Cyrus the Great created one of the most successful systems of a centralized bureaucratic administration, using what were known as satraps, which were basically governors. He's also credited with one of the first multicultural policies for governing conquered lands, allowing locals and nobles to retain their power so long as they recognized him as their true ruler. He ordered the creation of infrastructure such as road systems and a postal system, he even implemented the use of an official language across his territories and developed a civil service and a large professional army. 
The Empire of Cyrus the Great, also known as the Achaemenid Empire, is also considered to be the world's first true superpower. The Achaemenid Empire stretched from Asia Minor in the west to the Indus River in the east. And when he decided to expand his empire even further, he led a conquest into the fractured northern city-states of Greece, attacking the people of Ionia in present-day Turkey and appointed Persian governors called satraps who elected native Greek tyrants to rule over the conquered lands. This system of governance was maintained for a time, and in fact, Ionia saw economic, social, and cultural benefits from their alignment with the Persian Empire. Cyrus the Great led one of the world's largest empires for almost 40 years, until, according to the history books, he died a peaceful death at an old age, or he possibly died in battle while fighting a tribe of nomads. When the two sons of Cyrus the Great, known as Bardia and Cambyses II, named after his grandfather, fought over who would rule the vast empire of their father, threatening to undo all of his work, another relative stepped in when Cambyses II died while traveling abroad, leaving Bardia to rule. But another relative named Darius had swayed the Persian nobles to elect him as king after killing Bardia. Darius now controlled the largest empire in the world, but it was difficult for one person to rule over extremely vast areas of land and Persia had established a practice of allowing people of the lands they conquered that pledged loyalty to Persia to rule in their place. Darius actively encouraged the Persian nobility in the Ionian region to participate in Greek religious practices. Persian and Greek nobility began to intermarry, and the children of Persian nobles were given Greek names instead of Persian names. This culture mixing and the allowance of Greeks to continue governing their own lands was quite successful until one of the Greek-appointed tyrants of Ionia failed to conquer another Greek state in the name of the Persian Empire, and fearing the punishment he would ultimately receive for his failure, he rallied the Greek people of Ionia to rebel against the Persian Empire, and with the help of the Greek city-states of Athens and Sparta, attacked the city of Sardis home to the king of Persia's brother and governor of Ionia, burning it to the ground. Darius's brother survived, and when he gathered his forces, he squashed the Ionian revolt with overwhelming force. Darius, or Darius the Great as he became known, sent ships from Persia to crush the Athenians who disembarked in a Greek town called Marathon. The Athenians sent word of the coming invasion to Sparta, who could not join the Athenians due to their respect of an important religious festival. The Athenians were joined by other Greek states, and together, although vastly outnumbered, they were able to block the progression of the Persian army, achieving a decisive victory at what came to be known as the Battle of Marathon. Marathon, a long-distance running race, is said to get its name from the town of Marathon, when after the battle, a herald was sent running from Marathon to Athens to announce the victory. Distraught over the defeat and retreat of his army, Darius the Great, nearly three years later, began to prepare for another invasion into Greece. But before he could accomplish that, his subjects of Egypt revolted, and he grew sick and died before he could seek his revenge on the Athenians and Greece. After his son Xerxes inherited the throne, he pledged in the name of his father that he would conquer all of Greece, achieving what his father was unable to do. Xerxes first sent emissaries throughout Greece demanding earth and water, a show of submission. Most city-states accepted the offer, as word of the size of his army reached Greece. Most of the city-states accepted the Persian king's offer, 
except for Athens and Sparta, which out of the hundreds of city-states in Greece at the time were the most powerful and influential. Athenians were fierce soldiers, but their society was highly focused on culture and education, whereas Spartans were purely military-minded. It's estimated that the Athenian and Spartan army had less than 10,000 soldiers, compared to the Persian army with a force of over 250,000 soldiers and over 1,000 warships. But after the first failed invasion under his father, King Darius, the Athenians had constructed new ships that were faster and more maneuverable than the larger Persian warships. When the invasion commenced, the Persian army marched into their lands, conquering every city in their path with little to no resistance, while their ships sailed alongside in a joint force heading straight for Athens. But the Persian Empire was used to dealing with fractured city-states, not a unified force. The army was led by the king of Sparta called Leonidas. The sheer numbers of the Persian army filled the rulers of the Greek city-states with fear, and therefore when Leonidas of Sparta and the Athenians asked for assistance, only a few of them responded. To resist that large of a force was seen as a fool's errand. Spartans were bred for battle, but in order to reserve a religious ceremony that had prevented the army of Sparta from being called into war at the Battle of Marathon, the Spartan king Leonidas broke their sacred tradition and against the wishes of the Spartan government, took 300 of his best warriors and marched to block off the Persian army's advance, and was joined by over 6,000 soldiers made up of only a few of the Greek city-states. If you've ever seen the movie The 300 starring Gerard Butler, you will recognize this name and the story as the Battle of Thermopylae. The Spartans and those that joined them planned to meet the Persians at a narrow path at Thermopylae and force them into battle. Instead of fighting the overwhelming forces of the Persian army in an open field, they came up with an ingenious idea to fight them in a narrow corridor. During this time, it's said that Xerxes watched from a hillside cliff sitting atop a golden throne carried by his slaves. But with the strategy in place, the 300 Spartans and the over 6,000 soldiers fighting alongside them managed to hold the overwhelming forces of the Persian army at bay at the narrow pass, killing thousands of Persian soldiers. When one of the villagers confessed to the Persian soldiers that there existed a secret path to bypass the narrow corridor, the Persians were able to use the shortcut to exit behind the Spartans. Once King Leonidas of Sparta realized his men were outflanked and that there was little chance they could stop the wave of Persian soldiers, King Leonidas ordered the retreat of the bulk of his forces, to which only a few remained to fight alongside the 300 Spartans. Leonidas and his 300 soldiers fought one of the most lopsided battles in history. They were immensely outnumbered and should have been quelled with ease, but their resistance to the Persian forces that many saw as unbeatable would go down as one of the greatest shows of resistance from an invading force in all of recorded history. Unfortunately for Leonidas and the 300 Spartans, once the Persians were informed of the shortcut, there wasn't much time before the Spartans and their soldiers were overrun and defeated. When the Persians recovered his body, it's claimed that Xerxes was so enraged by Leonidas's defiance that he ordered Leonidas's head to be removed and his body crucified as a warning. With the defeat of the Spartans and other forces at Thermopylae, the Persians continued their advance. Thankfully, the retreat that Leonidas ordered provided time for the navy heavily made up of Athenian ships to meet the Persians. The Persian navy were outmaneuvered by the Athenian ships, and they won a decisive victory against the Persian navy. 
Xerxes, who did not want to be trapped, ordered his forces to retreat and fled back to Persia. Disgraced after the loss, just like his father, Darius the Great, he had used a large number of resources, men, and money to finance the failed conquest, and years later, he was assassinated by one of the members of the Persian court. After the defeat of the Persian army and navy, Athens became the dominant superpower in the region. Over time, a man known as Philip II of Macedonia would lead men into multiple battles. Athens had seized power after the Persians retreated, but Macedonia had been subjugated before and did not want to follow Athenian rule. After Philip II concluded a number of successful battles against Athens, he was named the ruler of all Greece and created a federation of the Greek city-states called the League of Corinth. And peace between the Greek city-states was maintained for a while. But soon, others grew jealous of his power and influence over the region. Philip II of Macedonia had a son who would go on to follow in his footsteps, becoming one of the most famous conquerors in human history, known as Alexander the Great. And that's all for this episode. Next episode, we'll discuss the empires of Greece, Rome, and eventually those of Europe that would be responsible for discovering the New World and what followed after European arrival. Thank <laughs> you.